So I just wanted to uh, bring that to, to the Lord. Father God, we uplift last night's awful events in London to you. We pray for the people who have been injured and for the families of those who have been killed. We pray that you will be with them and comfort them. We ask that you will be with the medical teams as they care for the people in hospital. Please bring healing to all those in need, whether it be physical or mental. We thank you, Father, for the medical staff, including the paramedics, who go out to these situations and who often put their own lives at risk. We also thank you for the police and the security forces who bravely put the safety of many before their own. We pray against the ultimate goal of terrorism, which is to create fear. We pray today that as a nation, we will not be shaken by these acts of terrorism. We claim your word in Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. We break the power of fear and invite your strength and help to have full reign in our hurting and sometimes terrified world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, today is the day of Pentecost, which uh, we heard a little bit about this morning, and uh, obviously we're going to continue with that theme this evening. So, our Bible reading tonight is taken from Acts. Um, First of all, it's Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and then on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 24. And again, I'm going to read from the message, but I'm sure the nearly infallible version will appear on the screen. So if you want to um, follow it on the screen, it will be slightly different, but we get the, the gist. Super. Dear Theophilus, in the first volume of this book, I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye to the apostles, the ones he had chosen through the Holy Spirit, and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate at meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptised in water. You will be baptised in the Holy Spirit, and soon. When they were together for the last time, they asked Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business. 
What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. And then on to chapter 2. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. That's speaking our tongues, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked, ha, they're drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvellous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you, the miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus, following the deliberate and well thought out plan of God, was betrayed 
by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you. And you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for him. So let me commit the following thoughts to prayer. Father God, it was you who decided upon the topic for me to preach on tonight. And you were there by my side when I was preparing what I should say. Please help me to deliver it in a meaningful manner and that it will be worthy of you. And help those of us here who are listening to it. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, some people know that I'm the designated person for safeguarding. If you don't, well, I've just told you. Um, I thought I'd, um, I ought to issue a little warning first. Let's hope this works. So, if you do suddenly find yourself caught in an indoor tornado and your scalp is on fire, this is what you need to do. First of all, tell the leadership team, there's a few of them dotted about. Do fight the urge to stop, drop and roll, because it won't work. And finally, I suggest you invest in a toupee. <clears throat> so, let's set all of this in context. If you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll discover that Pentecost was one of the Jewish feast days. Only they didn't call it Pentecost, that's the Greek name. The Jews called it the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. It is mentioned five times in the first five books. In Exodus 23, Exodus 24... Leviticus 16, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16. It was the celebration of the beginning of the early weeks of harvest. In Palestine, there were two harvests each year. The early harvest came during the months of May and June. The final harvest came in the autumn. Pentecost was the celebration of the beginning of the early wheat harvest, which meant that Pentecost always fell sometime during the middle of the month of May or sometimes in early June. There were several festivals or celebrations or observances that took place before Pentecost. There was Passover, there was unleavened bread, and there was the Feast of First Fruits. The Feast of First Fruits was the celebration of the beginning of the barley harvest. Here's the way you figured out the date of Pentecost. According to the Old Testament, you would go to the day of the celebration of first fruits, and beginning with that day, 
you would count off 50 days. The 50th day would be the day of Pentecost. So first fruits is the beginning of the barley harvest and Pentecost the celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest. Since it was always 50 days after first fruits and since 50 days equals seven weeks and one day, it always came a week of weeks later. Therefore, they either called it the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. Now, there are three things that we need to know about Pentecost which will help us to understand Acts 2. Firstly, it was a pilgrim festival. That meant, according to Jewish law, all the adult Jewish men would come from wherever they were living in Jerusalem and, and wherever they were living elsewhere, they would go to Jerusalem and personally be in attendance during this celebration. Secondly, Pentecost was a holiday. No servile work was to be done. School was out, the shops were closed, and it was party time. Thirdly, there were certain celebrations and sacrifices and offerings which were prescribed in the law for the day of Pentecost. On Pentecost, the high priest was to take two loaves of freshly baked wheat bread and offer them before the Lord. The wheat bread was made from the newly harvested wheat. So, in short, Pentecost, in the time of the apostles, was a great and grand harvest celebration. The streets of Jerusalem were clogged with thousands of pilgrims who had come from every point of the compass to celebrate the goodness of God and the bringing in of the wheat harvest. Now, three unusual things happened on the day of Pentecost. There was the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the actual speaking in tongues. Those three things are rightly seen as signs. They draw our attention to something else, though. The descent of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. If you focus on just the signs, then you miss the whole point. It's the coming of the Spirit which is the important event. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that tra transformed Peter, the denier, into Peter, the preacher. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit that took Thomas, the doubter, and turned into Thomas, the missionary. It was the coming of the Holy Spirit which took these cowardly, fearful, doubting, hesitant disciples and made them flaming evangelists for Jesus Christ. They were ready to lay their lives down for him. It was that and nothing else. It was the work of the Holy Spirit coming into ordinary men and women who transformed them 
from ordinary men and women into evangelists for Jesus. These believers were filled with power after Pentecost. Yet so often, many misunderstand the nature of this power. So let's look at Acts 1 um, verse 8 in more detail. What exactly was this power? Now, there are two different Greek words for power, and I'm sure Edward will forgive me if I pronounce them incorrectly, because my New Testament Greek is not brilliant. Um, But one of these words is exousia, which is translated as authority in 1 verse 7b. We get our English word exertion from this and it's got more to do with conferred power. The other word is dunamis, which is translated here in verse um, 8 as power. We get our English word dynamite from it and it has more to do with power in the sense of ability. Though Jesus had finished all his work and was ready to return to glory, he knew that these believers were not ready to go out into the world in their own power or strength. He had already given them his authority, but now they would need another kind of power. They would need a type of power that literally could transform them. Now, doing any ministry in our own power will not work very well. I couldn't have prepared tonight's um, service without God's help. The world today is full of examples of Christians attempting to minister in their own strength and not being very successful. Jesus here would not permit them to do anything. He instructs them, instructs them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This will empower them the way they need to be empowered for doing the work Jesus was leaving them to do. They needed something more than just authority. They needed transforming power. They were touched by this power. The first part of the verse is very clear. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This touch of the Spirit will be a real experience, one that they will notice. This experience of the Holy Spirit is different from salvation. These people had already received the Holy Spirit. Jesus had breathed on them earlier and had said, receive the Holy Spirit. This baptism of the Spirit was something apart from salvation. This is where they who already had the Holy Spirit would now have 
the Holy Spirit have them. I'll say that again because it's not obvious. This is where they, who already had the Holy Spirit, would now have the Holy Spirit have them. This baptism of the Spirit would deliver to them real power, the dunamis, meaning ability. Now, there have been arguments for centuries over the tongues part, but there has been agreement over the fact of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a work of grace from God. Some of the greatest men and women of history have recorded this experience in their lives and the resulting power it gave them. There can be little doubt that Pentecost had a dramatic effect on the early believers and their ability to witness for Jesus and change the world. Their new ability clearly came as a result of being baptised in the Holy Spirit. And we need this touch of the Spirit today as well. So what is the purpose of this power? Transformation. Jesus states here that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will be witnesses. The emphasis on, of this passage is on these two little words, to be or will be. The transformation of their character is in view here. They will be dramatically changed. What is recorded in Acts following this Pentecostal experience is proof positive of that transformation. These men and women who had earlier been afraid, had hidden for fear of their lives, who often squabbled amongst themselves, are now united, bold, and have a clear sense of mission with power. Peter stands up in the midst of the crowd to explain what is happening. He clearly connects it with scripture, lest the crowd think something bizarre um, was happening. He preaches with new power. This was a transformed Peter. The rest speaks for this new power as well. At least 3,000 people got saved that very day. A new record for ministry for these guys. The baptism of the Holy Spirit did not make Peter better than the other brothers in Christ, but it did make Peter better than Peter. The baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make us better than other Christians, but it does make us better than ourselves. Hence the real value of this gift of the Spirit and its power. They look the same, but they were different. Even the crowd took notice of the transformation of these guys. They were asking if these were the same guys that they'd known before. So, 
that's all very nice, that's all very well, but the key thing is, what does it mean to us today? How does it apply to us? The work of the Spirit is to transform and empower us. This is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important for believers. Anything that empowers us to be better than we can be in our own strength should be sought. To be or not to be, that is the question. There is little room in Jesus' statement here for guesswork on the results of being baptised in the Holy Spirit. He clearly says that they will be witnesses. There is a great testimony. This power gave these guys a huge testimony. Their transformed lives became so evident that the whole community was awed by their testimony of change. As Jerusalem watched, these newly empowered saints became a powerful community of believers, sharing with each other, encouraging each other, serving one another out of powerful love, all evidences of a true revival. What a marvellous model for us to follow. Yes, there were great miracles of healings, great prophecies, great manifestations in other ways, but nothing gripped the community as much as the testimony of these believers and the change in their lives. As wonderful as the miracles were, what really transformed the world was the testimony of the people who were radically changed by God's power. The miracles attracted attention, but the changed lives attracted converts. Many times the miracles performed were explained away by the unbelieving. Oh, it's just a magic trick. But they couldn't explain away the changes in people's lives. And I think that's why baptismal services are so powerful, because people talk about the changes in their lives. And that is really appealing to people. Witnessing is not just a work of verbal skills. It is the work of the Spirit of God in the life yielded and this transformed life speaks loudly of the power of God. If it was just about verbal skills, then we would all be absolutely fantastic at witnessing because we're all really good at speaking, but we need the Spirit of God to be really good at witnessing. We testify about God with not just words, but also our walk. This is where the baptism of the Holy Spirit finds its greatest work, in the transformed lives of those who receive this gift. 
not just in the fascinating manifestations that come. It is not just what the Holy Spirit does through us, it is also what the Holy Spirit does in us. Think about the geography. We would be amazed to discover how much of our history has been influenced by Christians in tactical places. We've got Brother Andrew setting up open doors. We've got Louis Pasteur with his work on vaccination and pasteurisation. How many lives has that saved? We've got Joseph Lister with his work on sterilisation. And again, so many lives saved. We've got William Wilberforce and Martin Luther King. So many people in so many tactical places. God takes his people and fills them with power and then scatters them in a world that desperately needs to see transformed lives. If you are in connection with Open Doors, you've probably got the prayer diary for this month. I looked at what uh, we was, uh, should be praying for today, and we've got, um, I, th I think we uh, pronounce her name Nidal, and I'm smiling at Chris, who will hopefully show us a picture of her there. She's, um, you can see... Um, she's the lady that the cursor is currently pointing to and she is moving back to her hometown in Iraq and she is a Christian, she's taking her family back to her home village and she says, we need to be here, we need to be a Christian presence. So that is a very... Um, brave thing to, to do. So, this all occurred through the pages of the New Testament, but it is still happening today. God has a plan and God has given us the power. We've thought about the geography, now think, let's have a think about the time. The last phrase of the verse might mean not only to the ends of the known earth, but also until the end of time as well. This baptism of the Holy Spirit was not just for the first century saints, as though we are better than they were, as if we don't need what they needed. It was the gift of the Spirit for them and for us today. It was meant for all believers, for all time. We all need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, they were all filled. They were all told to wait until the promise came. If the early church needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then surely we do today as well. 
When we receive Jesus into our lives, we immediately receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that we could call the salvation experience. But when we pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, we can then walk with the power of the Holy Spirit like the early disciples did. And that is baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, you'll be pleased to know I'm summing up. What is the power of the Holy Spirit? Is it power to just express manifestations? No. It is power to be witnesses. While manifestations come with the Spirit's power, the principal power is that of transforming us. The disciples before Pentecost were weak and wavering. After Pentecost, they were a force to be reckoned with. The power of the Spirit made them witnesses, not just in word, but also in character. The baptism of the Holy Spirit makes us better than our original selves, not better than others. So, my final question is, have you prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill you? Amen. So, let us pray. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Help us not to take it for granted. Thank you for making the power of the Holy Spirit available, not just for the disciples in the first century, but also for all of us in the 21st century. Sometimes we are frightened to ask for the Holy Spirit to transform us because we are too comfortable in our own little setting and we do not wish to be changed. Please forgive us our lack of courage and our complacency. And so, we ask you now for the Holy Spirit to descend upon those of us who truly want to be transformed. Not to be better than other Christians, but to be better than our previous selves. Lord, we want to see transformed lives as we know this is the sure way to revival. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.